0: whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here, and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey, friend, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. This week's episode kicks off our December content, and it's the perfect focus on gifting. But in this conversation, we actually go a bit deeper into how creating the perfect gift experience can actually help us connect or maybe reconnect with those that we love. This week's guest is Julie Schechter. She is the founder of a company called Small Packages. Their mission is to combat loneliness by making it easier to stay connected to those who are most important to us. But gifting is only one small part of this terrific conversation. Julie is also a master career pivoter. She majored in dance in college and briefly pursued ballet professionally. She then pivoted, served in AmeriCorps, which inspired her to take a non-traditional resume and apply to Harvard Law School. She ultimately graduated from Harvard Law and she practiced law for a few years before becoming inspired to address a growing problem that she was experiencing personally. Small Packages was ultimately born. Friend, here's what I think you'll especially love about this conversation with Julie. She talks about how her unique path actually created differentiation for her as she was applying to law school. Think Elle Woods from Legally Blonde, but without the scented resume. Julie talks about the connective thread that ties her experience and her resume and the particular skill that has proven most valuable to her in all of her career junctures, including her most recent experiences as a founder and entrepreneur. She talks about some very specific lessons that she's learned as an entrepreneur. She shares her advice for pulling the plug on an idea that you've loved but that might not be working. That can be so incredibly difficult to do because you love the project that you're working on. It can be so hard to pull the plug even when you know you need to. She also shares great advice for picking a co-founder or partners and then how to navigate disagreements. One particularly important piece of advice that she shares is about having a what if it doesn't work out plan julie and i also talk about why she considers all of her quote unquote failure rich jobs to have been so valuable and also why the story that you tell yourself about failures and setbacks as an entrepreneur is especially important in a way that oftentimes in corporate jobs it's a little different There is so much great advice and perspective in this episode. I know you're going to love it, and I'm excited to hear what you think. So please be sure to send me some feedback once you have a chance to listen. For now, here is my conversation with Small Packages founder, Julie Schechter. Hi, Julie. Welcome to She Said, She Said.
1: Thank you so much, Laura. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm so happy to have you. I've loved learning about your company, Small Packages. I'd love for you to tell my listeners a little bit about what that is and how it got started.
1: So we started Small Packages, I say we, meaning my my business partner, Monica Shaw, and I really with the intent to just make it much, much easier for people to stay connected to each other. So Small Packages is a gifting company that allows you to send Curated care packages that are perfect for all different life events. You know, we have one for new parents, one for a breakup, every event that could be going on in the life of a person that you care about. If you can't be there to show up in person for them, this is a really easy way to make that connection felt. Um, And the genesis of it really came from my own experience, which was, you know, I've been in the entrepreneurship world for years, but I started out as an attorney. I graduated from Harvard Law School and practiced at a big corporate firm and you know was living the dream you know loved loved being a lawyer but just had absolutely no bandwidth to invest in my relationships with my friends and family and that just took a huge toll on on my mental health and so I wanted to find a way to make it easier to show up both for myself and and for other folks on the sort of microcosm level of my own experience but then seeing that out in the world being like a really pervasive issue this sort of epidemic of of distance and loneliness that we're all facing so that's that's the company and and where it came from so you mentioned your
0: previous foray and i know this is not your first um entrepreneurial venture if you will but what probably caught listeners attention is the fact that you pivoted from a law career. But what they may not know, even though they learned about it in the intro, but um, what they what they I think would be even more interested by is the fact that you actually started in dance. You studied and majored in dance, which is a really interesting career pivot. So maybe take us back (laughs) and talk about kind of how you got
1: here. Yeah, there have been a lot of steps along the way. No, no pun intended. Um, so yeah. I I've been a ballet dancer since I was a, a small child. Grew up dancing. It was always, you know, my my absolute favorite thing. And yes, did major in it in college. Um, thought that that was going to be my long term career path. But as we were graduating, you know, realized I probably wanted something that was a little bit a little bit more stable. And so then made kind of a real right turn at the last minute to go to law school instead. Um, loved, loved that decision for sure, but it, it was a, an unusual switch. Definitely. Well,
0: that's a huge, it's a huge sort of left brain, right brain switch. It's not the kind of thing that you see every day, not to say that folks aren't perfectly capable of making that switch. But oftentimes, at least I think, if you're really attracted to something in the creative field, to make a pivot into something that is oftentimes, or at least we think about as being as linear and structured as law, like that's a big switch. Talk about, kind of the mental process that you went through in why law and not, say, an MBA or, you know, there are lots of other fields that you could have pursued. So what was it about law that so attracted you?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I really, on some level, wanted to be Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, that was really (laughs) sort of my ego ideal when I was going into it. Right after school, I actually did a stint in AmeriCorps, which is mm. sort of like, you know, the domestic Peace Corps group. Right. Um, and that was really kind of what sparked the turn for me. I was seeing, you know, the the greatness of that program by getting frustrated by just the enormous amount of red tape that was surrounding everything that folks who are working in public policy and, you know, on the nonprofit world were, you know, everything they wanted to accomplish. And so when I was looking at what my options were, a law degree really kind of stood out as something that let you wield power in a good way, right? You know, to be able to say... I know the law in this situation. I'm going to come in and just be able to actually make a real difference here, and so that's why I ended up going in that direction at first. Um, and then, you know, the experience of being at law school really underscored that, right? I mean, if you if you know the background, if you know the law, right, like you really have the power in any situation to come in and help and and to do good. So that's what attracted me initially.
0: Was there a moment that you faced um, in AmeriCorps in which you said, "Okay, I have to do something about this? Was there something in particular that really inspired you or sparked that interest beyond just the red tape and sort of the need to see things done? But was there something in particular that really you said, "Okay, I have to I have to
1: do this? Yeah, I mean, I think so. The the group that I was working with, I was in this um, very Southern Californian uh, town in, in San Clemente, and my group was focused on doing like early early intervention for preschoolers, making sure they had um, they were doing like ear and eye tests, making sure they could you know see and hear well as they were heading into the public education system, so they weren't set behind. Um, and I. I remember one day, you know, with all my, like, youthful enthusiasm and, and, you know, naivete for sure, you know, suggesting some, like, improvements to the program. Who knows if they were good or not? I'm not, you know, suggesting that they were, but I was, you know, I had, like, stayed up all night and researched and been like, okay, like, here's how we can revamp everything so we can see, you know, like, so many more kids and et cetera. And the folks who were in charge of the program, like, wouldn't even look at my proposal, not because they didn't appreciate the work that I put into it, but just because, you know, we we had to write a grant to get this particular, you know, thing funded. And this is exactly how it has to be. And even for next year, you know, we're, we don't want to touch it. And it mostly just came down to a resource question and a, a legality question of, like, can we even do these things that you're interested in? nobody here has the resources to look into it or hire a lawyer or to, you know, do anything like that. And so that stood out sort of in my mind is, you know, that is the person that you have to be to know the answers, to be able to come in and actually affect change. Were my policy ideas good? Who knows? (laughs) I was a very young person at that time, but the lesson still was right. Yeah.
0: I love that. Okay, so you didn't just go to any law school. You arguably went to one of the very best law schools in the country. You went to Harvard Law School. So on your resume, when you applied to law school, my guess is they don't see a lot of ballet dancers who have AmeriCorps experience. (laughs) No disrespect to ballerinas.
1: I was one. I'm a big lover of the arts and dance. But my guess is that's pretty unusual. I, I think that was one of the reasons I got in, to be totally honest. I mean, I had a, you know, a good GPA. I was a good student in college. But I think that is something that really sets you apart when you're in a pool of other folks who have known from day one that this is what they want to do. You know, they've been right. poli sci majors and they've, you know, been prepping for this to be their path you know, and I just sort of a couple months before. I've been, like, Yeah, I think this is I think this is a good route. So on on a huge level. I'm sure that diversity helped me enormously.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. So you get to law school, you look around, you say, oh, my gosh, I love this so much. I can't believe it took me so long to arrive at this path. Or were you like, hey, what am I doing here?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I loved law school. Loved it. I had one of those, you know, like, the Grinch, you know, his heart grew through, like, I felt like my brain grew three sizes while I while I was there. And it was just the most, you know, like, idyllic, wonderful experience to be in this beautiful place. I was also from Southern California and had, hadn't really traveled that much. So suddenly, like, walking around a New England, you know, campus was just absolutely breathtaking for me. So in a lot of ways, it was a culture shock, but it was an incredibly eye-opening experience. And I think law school, especially the first year, is like that for a lot of people because the subjects that you're taking are sort of foundational to society, right? You know, you're taking property and it's not just what are the laws because they're different in every state, but like, what does it mean to own something? Like, what what does it mean when we talk about that? You're taking criminal law and it's like, what what are the actual bases that we decide relate to each other on and what is really bad and you know so all of these just sort of incredibly fundamental questions about how to think um were just incredible for me I, i loved my time there so your parents i'm curious as to what
0: your friends and your parents and other people around you we're saying, is you said, OK, I'm going to make this big pivot and go to law school. Was there support for that decision or were, did you have a lot of naysayers that you had to deal with? And if so, how did you overcome that? We hear about this a lot from other guests on the podcast, especially when you make a big career pivot that's such a departure from what you've been doing. You know, people with the best of intentions will oftentimes in trying to protect you say, oh, are you sure you really want to do that? Are you sure that's really the path you want to take? Talk. Talk about your experience and what your your um, your tribe or your inner circle uh, was
1: telling you. I I have been really fortunate in that the people who are closest to me are always supporters. I come from a slightly more boho background. I guess my my dad is a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, and my mom is a psychologist. My brother is a physician. So there's a lot of play in the joints in terms of not having to be, you know, an accountant or, you know, like they were completely fine with me being a dance major in school. I think they were a little surprised when I decided to make a big turn and go to law school. It was nothing that had ever been on my radar as a young person. Um, And so I think they were a little taken aback, but we talked through all of the reasoning behind, you know, what was attracting me to it. And they were, they were very supportive for sure. So I think, you know, it was later on when I decided to leave law, (laughs) (laughs) the More of the, oh, are we sure we're doing the right thing here when that, you know,
0: came into play okay so let's let's jump to that juncture point you graduate from law school you join a firm you're working as a litigator not in pro bono law which might seem like a more obvious trajectory given the experience with AmeriCorps but you were actually working on the litigation side Mm -hmm. at a big law firm talk about that experience and and maybe kind of what happens
1: next yeah. So I, I really enjoyed my time at the firm. Wonderful people. you know. In, in terms of going to work at a big law firm, I think it was one of the best places I could have ended up. Everyone was extremely kind. But I think this transition is something that happens to a lot of folks who um, maybe don't have a lot of lawyers in the family or don't know a lot of people who have been through the law school um, experience beforehand, you come in so excited about all of the things that you can do and what a law degree is gonna mean for the change that you can make in the world. But law school is extremely expensive. And so, especially if you are a very young person, I won't speak for others, I'll only speak for myself who doesn't have you know quite the grasp of what it means to be taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in loans. You come out on the other side of it and you realize that really the only way you're going to be able to support this loan debt is to go work for a firm. It's a a path that a lot of people take to alleviate their debt and then go on to do all of the really exciting, you know, pro bono or public interest stuff that they wanted to do from the very beginning. Um I just didn't last quite that long. Um, So it really was a decision that was motivated by, okay, I have these, you know, ideals and these very exciting things I want to work on in the future. Right now, for pragmatic reasons, you know, I need to need to go work at a firm. So had a great experience there. Again, it was wonderful people. But that's the reason for the switch. Yeah. So you when did
0: you have the idea for small packages? So
1: I had the idea for small packages really, really early on while I was still at the firm. I had another business in between, um, but the idea really was sparked when I was at the firm and I was missing everything. I mean, everybody knows the stereotype of you know the long hours that you're working and it means that you you miss a lot of birthday parties and random thursday nights when people are getting together and you know all of the moments when you are planning on showing up for people but can't end up making it so that was really when when the idea came to fruition
0: yeah. So I know you left the firm after about three years. You also had a stint, which you just you just referenced. You started a, a dance company. Was it a dance company or a fitness company? Tell me tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So that was my first entrepreneurial venture. It was called Fit Ballet. I had been a big CrossFit component or proponent rather during certain um, eras in, in my life and had been a ballerina. The you know. all all leading up until then. And when I was in law school, I sort of developed this curriculum that allowed me sort of keep my dancer body and flexibility, sort of a lot of ballet mixed with CrossFit, so that I could get into the gym, you know, take it down in 45 minutes and get out and get back to studying. And so when I first left the firm, that was the first business that I opened so i was living in new york city at the time and doing live fitness classes with this curriculum that i had put together it was really fun i had like a whole group of instructors we had like a pop-up model where we would use like empty space in yoga studios around the city and we would pay them you know just for that hour so that we didn't have to have a whole storefront so i did that for about two and a half years and it was really fun we had a whole like dedicated clientele But it reached an inflection point where i was realizing you know we really are gonna have to have our own dedicated space and raising money to open a you know storefront space in new york city is just like a huge huge endeavor and so i really looked at what i had built and you know it's like is this the thing that i want to go all in on or is it sort of this more relationship-based idea that I've sort of had ruminating in the back of my head since the law firm, so yeah, decided to go Was there. it
0: hard? Yeah. Was it hard to make that decision? Or, or maybe I, I, would, I would ask you, was it difficult? And then how did you make that decision? Like, did you go, is there a process or some linear way or something you learned in law school about decision making that helped you arrive at that decision?
1: It was hard because, you know, you spend several years investing in something, you know, not just resources, but time and attention. I mean, building a business, you really are drawing on not only your own resources, but those of everybody around you. Look at this thing I built, help me talk about it, you know, tell everybody you know. And so it it does, you know, feel like sort of turning a ship around to pause something and move in a different direction. But I ended up just, you know, kind of having a a business case conversation with myself about it. You know, look at what I've built so far. Yes, it has dedicated consumers and people really love it. But look at the market, look at the way the boutique fitness, you know, bubble is approaching, And can you build something that's based on a lot of the same undercurrents and sort of core values of community and relationships and and strength, but something with a much larger addressable market? You know, I went from something where I was trying to get folks in a dedicated area to come in physically and work out to, you can send this box from the internet to anybody in the entire country. And just that that sense of opening up what I was trying to build to such a larger market was so, so exciting. So that that was eventually the way I decided.
0: Yeah. Now, you started out as a solo founder, but very quickly realized that you you know, that solo founding was not going to be the way to go. And you needed a co-founder. Maybe talk about the process that you went through of a making that decision and then b finding the right person.
1: Yeah, so it actually kind of went the other way, interestingly enough. So, when I first was starting out, I just didn't have anybody in my circle that was a good fit. They always say, and I think this is true, that you want someone who isn't like you. I mean, you have to share the same values and the same vision, but I am very, you know, sort of creative monster, 10 ideas a minute, et cetera. So I needed somebody who was process oriented and quantitative to sort of balance me out. Um, And so I was going through an accelerator. This was like the height of COVID, like literally March, April, 2020. It was an online accelerator, obviously. And one of the other people in the accelerator said, hey, I know you've been looking for some operations help. This woman I know is at another startup. She already has a job, but she'd probably help you out on the side as a consultant. She introduced us. And then our relationship just grew. It was, again, like the height of this sort of unprecedented time. Like we were flying off the shelves because people desperately needed something to send when they couldn't be there in person. And we just were working together for a while. And you you really just know when you have a sense of the other person, when you're excited to go to those calls when you're really looking forward to sharing with them the idea that you just had and you feel that relationship really really blossoming so then i asked her to come on board full time and she said yes and it's been (laughs) several years since then which feels wild to think about but
0: very very glad. that's amazing Yeah. yeah what about advice that you might have for listeners who are contemplating taking on a partner or hiring someone who will be really fundamental to their business. What advice do you have for getting that alignment? I mean, you mentioned the importance of having you know diversity of perspective and maybe a skill set that's complementary. But what's, what's maybe some other pieces of advice that you would recommend?
1: I think that one is really foundational. And I think a lot of people, not that they ignore it, but they diminish the importance of it because it feels so good to vibe with someone and to, you know, to have the yes and conversation with somebody who sees things in the same way that you do. Um, So I think it does get overlooked, but, but it's very important. I think one of the other things is to have a what if it doesn't work out plan from the very beginning and to have clearly articulated that with the other person. How will we know that this is a success? And if it isn't, how will we deal with it? What will, what will we do kind of for two reasons? One, like if it starts working out, then you or starts to not work out, then you have a plan for what you're going to do. But also you see in having that initial conversation, how comfortable the other person is with uncertainty, with the idea of failure, etc and so you can gauge pretty well their risk tolerance which is a hugely important component of this whole endeavor and also you know what what they'd be like in a breakup basically so i think that would be at the top of my list yeah how about working through differences
0: like once you do bring this person on board um, and you bump into a difference in terms of taking a particular risk or pivoting the business potentially at one of these juncture points that are that's inevitable, right? In the lifespan of any business or anybody's life. Um, talk about how you would advise for working through those uh, differences of opinion.
1: Yeah. So one thing that's worked for us really well is to have just sort of zones of control. So the idea is basically, you know, we trust each other completely. And this is your zone and this is my zone. And to a certain extent, I mean, it doesn't make sense to think about it in a a dollar value, but to a certain valence level, you know, if a decision is less important than a five out of 10, not that I don't need to hear about it. We like to over communicate and know what's going on. But that's that's your zone. Even if even if I, you know, don't wouldn't have necessarily made the exact same decision. There's a lot of power and goodness in just sort of saying this is your area so i think that has worked for us well when it comes to bigger decisions it really just has been a matter of let's put everything on the table and let's like say out loud that we're not married to any particular outcome and you know if we're arguing for two different you know vantage points what are the reasons behind what you're going for versus what I'm going for, etc. Just, you know, in the same way that they teach you like in couples counseling, like put the problem on the table, come back around the table so that you're looking at it from the same side. And, you know, ultimately, you share the same goals for the business and for your partnership, etc. So which decision, no ego involved is the right thing for all of the above. So, not saying it's always easy, but that's what we try to do.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. What about getting outside in, outside input when you run into a roadblock? And maybe describe what your external team of advisors. I don't think you do. You have a board at this point? Not yet. You're, you're small, so you don't really need that much infrastructure. But but maybe if, when you don't have a board, maybe talk about kind of what your additional team of advisors looks like and who you know who, what types of skill sets are particularly valuable to think about in that regard?
1: Yeah, I mean that's, that's really how we've built our team of advisors is what does this person bring to this company that either we don't already have or we're building, but they're light years ahead? you know so in terms of what we look for it obviously is you know the standard personality stuff that you know they vibe with what we are trying trying to build but we look for you know sector mastery so somebody who really knows how to you know build a team somebody who really knows how to win at marketing etc so for us, the things that we've focused on, especially as we've kind of pivoted in a new direction is um, folks that can advise us on the tech side of things. Um, yeah. That's something that we've invested in greatly um, and people who are great at sales. That's really what we, we lean towards. That's something that I naturally love and you know, really kind of lean into myself. But there's always so much you can learn from, from other folks.
0: Yeah, let's talk a bit about that this latest pivot that you're making from small packages to present. Talk about that pivot. Uh, why this pivot and where you're taking the company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is you know a really recent vintage, but when we were talking to our customers building small packages, and this is true on the D2 C side and also on the corporate side, because we have worked in both, What we were seeing is that gifting really was just the tip of the iceberg and what folks were having even more trouble with was relationship management, Mm -hmm. meaning that sort of layer that sits above before you even get to sending a gift how do i remember when these moments are coming up for the people that i care about and how do i know what to pick out to send to them and even when i have an idea how do i find that thing and just that whole administrative and mental load piece of showing up for the people that you care about so we were seeing this being like a really huge issue so it's a huge white space so we decided to build it basically so that's what we're building with So it's an AI-based platform that helps people build stronger relationships at work, at home. Um, And we launched our enterprise pilot a couple of weeks ago. We're in the midst of putting our our mobile app for individuals up on the app store. So we're very excited about, about the new direction.
0: First of all, congratulations, because that's a huge milestone. That's so exciting. Talk about how that will work. I go on to the present app that I've downloaded from uh, on my phone, right? And so what will I find when I get there? Is it giving me content that's going to help me forge stronger relationships? Or is it gifting options or suggesting gifting options? What's going to happen when I open the app?
1: So when you open the app, you'll first find a couple of different ways to bring the folks that you care about onto the app to make profiles for them. You don't interact with anybody on the app. It's not a networking app. It's just sort of a tool that sits in your pocket to help you remember and execute on all the things that you want to do, but you just don't have the time. So you can upload folks from your calendar, your contacts, from Facebook, etc. So they come up in the app and then you can, if you want, tell us a little bit more about them. You know, this is my mom who's a real foodie. This is my best friend from college who's a real nature lover, etc. And then when their birthdays or any other milestone that you want to record in the app is coming up, then we let you know that it's coming up. Hey, your mom's birthday is in two weeks. Do you want to send a card or a gift? And we then help Facilitate you, you know, picking out the right card or the right gift on the platform. We send it for you, et cetera. So, notification to sending the perfect thing to stay in touch in just a few clicks. Amazing. You know, it's so
0: interesting because. I think a lot of people think they are a great gift giver, and some people legitimately are. Lots of people think they are and really aren't. (laughs) And so this is like the perfect answer to making everyone an amazing gift giver by using technology and sort of not crowdsourcing, that's the wrong word, but really pulling together suggestions for someone to pick the right combination of things to really make that special person feel extra special. It's really beautiful. Julie, let's go back, if we could, and sort of think about the thread that connects all of these interesting experiences that you've had. And is there maybe, you know, can you describe kind of what has connected the dance, the law, the AmeriCorps, the entrepreneurship, maybe all of these pieces in
1: some way? I think on one level, it is... A sort of grit and resilience i think anyone who has danced would definitely say you know especially ballet that is the heart of the discipline is that it is a discipline and it is beautiful and you can reach incredible heights and it's a wonderful thing but the the underside not even the underside that the essence of it really is iron (laughs) and determination and, you know, being willing to commit yourself so intensely to that. And that kind of has been the through line of my experience is, you know, through dance and then also through law school and practicing at the firm. And now as an entrepreneur, you need that willingness to sort of dive in see what you come up with and then run back up to the top of the hill and dive in again you know it it really all of these disciplines require that just incredible commitment but you can make such beautiful things out of them you know i mean it really they all are disciplines that if you're willing to put in that amount of work and dedication give give fruit in such Incredible ways, so I I would say that's sort of the primary one that comes to mind. But then the other is connection, and that that really has been, you know, in the dance world, you so deeply rely on the people next to you and around you, not only you know through hard times, but in in the fun times too. I mean, it's presentational, it's relational, it's you know something beautiful that you're creating for other people to help connect in the human experience. Law absolutely the same, right? You're relating to somebody else as an advocate. You're helping to lift them up. And what we're building on the entrepreneurial side, obviously that's always been the through line for us. So I think those would be my two themes that that I'd pick.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. You you didn't specifically mention failure, but you talked about grit. And I have to believe that weathering failures also really go hand in hand with that, especially as you think about dance and perfecting that movement and that motion and the practice that goes into that. And you don't get to that level of accomplishment until you have failed over and over and over again. Maybe talk a little bit about specifically the concept of failure and how that experience sort of helps you a have the risk
1: tolerance, but also helps you plow through. Absolutely. I mean, all three of the things that I've done so far are failure rich, I guess you could say. (laughs) I mean, like you were saying with dance, if you're not falling on your face every other second in rehearsal, hopefully not on stage, (laughs) you're, you're not trying very hard, right? And in law, you have to, by definition, give a client a perfect product. And you can't do that until you've failed a million. I I don't know this piece of information. I didn't find X. I, you know, especially in the firm world, that's one of the great things about being in in a spot like that is you have people that catch them for you so you can fail frequently in a safe environment, which is great. And then in entrepreneurship, Forget about it. I mean, you're failing all the time. Any successful business has failed, some, even if it's not like a huge pivot in terms of what you're doing. You're still failing all the time when you, you know, just because you don't know everything when you're when you're starting out. So, I think it's something in all of those disciplines that you you learn to accept as not something that means there's anything wrong with you or that you should pursue a different path but just as a normal part of moving forward and yeah it's it's just part of the fabric
0: yeah yeah it absolutely is another piece of that also is of how we frame the experience in our own heads right it's not just a matter of going back and doing it over and over and over again but it's also what's the story that you're telling yourself about what happened and what's the story that you craft for other people who ask you about it and how you frame that for their benefit maybe talk a little bit about that story piece which i you know as you and i have talked about prior to our starting the conversation this idea of influence and to me story and the mindset component that's related to story and especially the stories we tell ourselves is so fundamental to that maybe give me your perspective on story and how you kind of control the narrative that runs in your head
1: yeah it's incredibly important especially as an entrepreneur because in any other field You have guidelines or walls within which you operate and you get feedback from other people, you know, as you move forward, like if I had stayed in law, as you move forward, you get feedback from colleagues and partners and clients. And you are able to build sort of a psychological safety that comes along with progressing forward and getting positive feedback and knowing that you are becoming increasingly better at what you're doing. In the entrepreneurship world, it's the Wild West, right? You're getting all kinds of feedback all the time. and Everybody is interested in telling you their story about how you're doing. <laughs> and, you know, that sort of old adage of don't ask for directions from someone who hasn't been where you're going i think is right. the truest thing i have ever heard and it's true on the story level too a nobody except for maybe your mom you know has seen everything you've done and knows the entire you know knows all the inputs that goes into you know what you're you're building or doing so nobody has full information so they really can't tell you the right story so it has to come from within because you are you know constantly pitching and building and you know all of this stuff, but also because you're the only one that knows. So the way that I always think about it is, you know, from a like from a, a backwards version, you know, like what what did I set out to do? Was I successful in that? And also where am I, you know trying to go from a, you know, Ninety-nine-year-old deathbed kind of a situation, and like if you put those two as like points along the road, you know, as long as you're still basically traversing a path between them that looks reasonable, then then that's a, a success, and you're just accumulating experiences and knowledge that are going to inform inform whatever the next right thing is. To do so, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying the story gets made up as you go, and and that's okay. Yeah.
0: What a beautiful way to think about that piece. I'm curious, um, was that something that you learned from your parents? Where did that Where did that perspective come from? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think in to a large degree, yes. Um, like i said my mother is a psychologist so we did a lot of you know talking about our our feelings and being pretty good at being open about those things um but my father is an entrepreneur he's been an independent you know filmmaker my entire life and so i i got to watch him have a similarly episodic approach to his career and the sense that what he was building was always first and foremost, for him. Not in the sense that he didn't want to share it with other people because he very much did and, and did so, but more that the most important story was, you know, was he, was he still interested? Was he still feeling like he was contributing something, etc.? So that, when you're exposed to it from an early age, really has... a a massive effect in terms of how you view your career and what, what you're contributing to the world. So I try to follow that path as much as I can
0: yeah i love that i should say before i let you go a big shout out to fran hauser who actually was a guest on this podcast she's the fat she's fabulous and is the author of a couple books including myth of the nice girl in any event fran joined me in a past episode she's fabulous she reached out after our conversation and said, you've got to meet Julie. She is amazing. And she was absolutely right. What a joy and what great perspective to share with my audience. I'm really, really happy to have met you, Julie.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was such a wonderful conversation.
0: I really loved it. And congratulations with all the success with Small Packages and now with Present. Can't wait to see where it all goes. Thank you. I can't wait to friend thanks so much for joining me today i hope you enjoyed the conversation with julie Schechter as much as i did as i think about it i think my favorite part is when julie talks about the importance and the value of those failure rich jobs and of the story that you then create around those experiences and how important that is I love that because it's such a valuable part of building and sustaining influence. But you know, the other piece that really stuck out to me relates to the power of connection that is so core to Julie's mission. What stuck out to you in this conversation? I'd love to hear. You can reach me via the link in the show notes, which you'll find on my website at she said, she said podcast.com. You can also follow me and message me on social media on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan on each of those platforms and as promised i have also included links to julie's company small packages and to julie's latest venture present app in the show notes for this episode i've also included links to my earlier conversation with the fabulous fran hauser who introduced me to julie you'll also find a link to fran's terrific workbook entitled embrace the work love your career as well it's a great tool to use especially as you start to think about the new year ahead now finally friend while i know it's not nice to ask for gifts i do have a request please consider leaving me a review on itunes or wherever you listen to this podcast those reviews help me improve the content so that you get more of what you enjoy and what you're looking for from she said she said podcast Plus, it's what friends do, and it's free. So when you have a minute, please consider sharing some love with me. I'd be truly, truly grateful. Until next week, you take care, and I'll talk to you soon. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.